Hello and welcome to the Action Movie Landfill. I'm Graham Sibley and as ever I'm joined by Gary Andrews. Hello. And Terry DeFellon. Hello. This doesn't feel quite... This feels weird somehow. Look, this, look, this is the only way I know how to open a bloody podcast, okay? <laughs> it's the as ever part you've got me on. As ever? Well... This isn't as ever. Of course it is. You know, it's always us three, isn't it? Come on. Well, and sometimes we get we get guests in. We haven't got a guest in this week, listeners. Um, but, of course, because I'm in the hot seat, it's because I've chosen a film for us to sift out of the action movie landfill and and think or discuss about whether or not it's worth reappraising and bringing back out and saying no this does not belong in landfill this is something that should be on everyone's watch list if you haven't seen it go and see it if you have seen it but not for a long time go see it again or maybe you're a massive massive fan in which case hmm yeah i mean all power to you you can like whatever you like but um this is something you can be a big fan of, isn't it, Terry? Do you think? Very definitely. I mean, I think that any kind of comic book related um, fiction um, will always have uh, a, a legion of fans, um, if nothing else, because it's Marvel, but also because I think there's enough in this movie to uh, to uh, ascribe it with cult status. And so therefore, you know, we'll always have... There's enough there... For the obsessive to get stuck in. Oh, definitely there is. Well, there's vampires, isn't there? There's vampires. To begin and, with. And vampires, to begin with, is something you can always get obsessed about. Now, 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 Gary, I mean, Terry and I, big comic book fans. Uh, we used to go to comic book marts in the 80s together. Um, but I, I'm not too sure about what your position on comic book characters are. Um Obviously, they're everywhere now, and they're they're mainstream and everything. You're not you're not a, a weirdo loser if you go to comic shops. Mm. Um, <laughs> Are you basically saying the original comic book hipsters? Yeah, you know. we were, we were. <laughs> yeah, that's how the before any before George Lucas got anywhere near it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we yeah well yeah yeah that's that's how, we're, how how we've reappraised ourselves as hipsters. Um, so so uh, uh, Gary, what about you? What's 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 your position on comic books and comic book characters? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm probably not quite on the the comic book um, level as as you two, but I've I've really really enjoyed them. Um, I've always been like a really big fan of Batman, um, and I really. I I really enjoyed um, some of the earlier Batman movies, and I'm sure we're going to talk about the one that probably wasn't quite so enjoyed by people. Um, and I've really kind of grown into it. Obviously, you know, you then start getting into some of the more interesting comic books. Like, I, I love Alan Moore's stuff. Uh, I really do. Um, and I've got a... Even though I know he, he wasn't massively keen on his ad- adaptations, big fan of V Vendetta, for example. I think that's, that's just a film that's fascinating in so many ways. Um, but yeah, Blade is, is an interesting one because it's, it's a character that I'm not massively familiar with. Um, I like, you know, I've, I've grown more into the Marvel films as the comic universe has come out. Some people I know kind of just enjoy it on a superficial level. Some people dive into it a lot more. Um, and you know, it's, it's given me an opportunity to go and discover a lot of characters. Um, Blade is, is not one really that I'm, I'm, I was even massively familiar with when I saw this film the first time around, which is probably why I I had almost zero recollection of what happened in it. So I was almost kind of, there are a few bits where I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. 
but most of this was almost completely new because my my memory had had kind of wiped of it for some reason maybe maybe i might have watched it around the same time i watched die another day and it's just all locked up in that trauma in the back of my head um from a period of time when i was i was uh, mentally scarred by having to watch that cgi and uh, and toby stevens um playing um, a north korean general for the 57th time so I don't remember much of it and I don't remember much don't know didn't know much about the character um I deliberately because I knew we were doing this and I know that the blade is scheduled for the MCU as well I I've, I've deliberately not really gone too much into it so I can kind of watch it a bit afresh so this was this was quite an interesting one for me um and I it's a fascinating film to watch um the my my first comment after finishing watching it was to myself was wow that was very 90s wasn't it yeah it that, was that, that's my main take out this is a very 90s film yeah it, it was it, it's it's basically uh, uh uh what i hoped would be very much landfill fodder something late 90s this is sort of uh Ooh, this this is just around tomorrow never dies i think this is 98 somewhere around around there uh so yeah in in the, got that really sort of like gritty late 90s film also got that whole transition of the hong kong uh film thing so lots of really cool kung fu in there it i don't think this could be any more 1998 if it tried do you think terry no, I think what really seals it is the undercranking. When you've got some under the undercranking and the hyper realism, that was like you're thinking, "Wow, oh, this yeah. is great!" And I actually, I really like that. Oh, I but, love. I tell you what, I tell you what, undercranking on a car chase. Oh yeah, what the car's yeah. doing right hang right angle turns. Come on. Yeah, <laughs> but but in fairness, the hyper realism, the hyper realism filter that they put over that, yeah. made it much more comic booky. Which is perfectly fine yeah. because that's what it is, and that's what. And, and then that, I didn't appreciate that the first time that I saw it. I've only seen this from twice. So, so once at the cinema at, when it came out, and then uh, yesterday as we were recording this, and I and I actually really appreciated that sequence because I thought I feel like I'm watching a comic book movie here. This feels like it was an attempt, but obviously they, they, if they'd done that for the entire movie, it would have been a little bit too much. And I think we'd have all just like you know ended up having seizures. But but that little sequence, for example, I think that was one of the examples of the imagination that they put into this film. And as as and I'm sure we will discuss it. Um, but I really appreciate the the imagination that goes into this film in some of the film making techniques. It, it, it is somewhat crude, uh, and you know, I mean, particularly in, in use of the C, of the CGI by today's standards. But I think that they pull it off because I think they just that because they they're trying to take a comic book and putting it on the screen as opposed to adapting a comic book uh, uh, um, to cinema, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, listeners, uh, the title of this podcast is Blade, so uh, I, I didn't actually introduce the film. Gary did that, really. <laughs> um, but <laughs> but yes, yes, we are talking about Blade. We are talking about the 1998 film Blade uh, with Wesley Snipes, obviously in the in the titular role uh, of the of the Daywalking Vampire. Um, now, uh, I, I chose this film to 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 lift out of the of, of the land, landfill because. Um, I wanted to talk about a, a superhero film because superhero films have dominated the last uh, twenty years, haven't they? Of c- cinema, um, the uh, the 
level of 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 realism you can get from CGI has been ramped up over and over again. Uh, and uh, I, so I wanted to take it right back to where it all started, properly where it all started, to the Marvel film that came out before Brian Singer's X-Men, before Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Here we are. We're here at ground zero. Oh, ish, ish. There, are, there have been other ones. There was a TV Nick Fury film out in the same year. So, um, so yeah, okay. That's the the whole Marvel universe was in Wright's hell throughout the eighties and nineties, and um, what came out wasn't pretty. wasn't very good at all. Um, Dolph Lundgren's Punisher. Can, can I mention? Um, yeah, pretty, pretty awful stuff. Um, so. When this film comes out, and it has a reasonable budget, considering what it is, it's just uh, the basic sort of monster-based action flick. Um, but it's got a budget of about $45 million. Makes that money back easily, three times over. Does really well. Uh, and Terry, it's no surprise it does well, because it doesn't, it doesn't try to be anything it's not. It just basically gives you everything you want to get through a really, really big bucket of popcorn. Yeah, I mean, it's a teenage, kind of teenage vampire flick. Or you could maybe argue that it's a teenage vampire flick for the teenagers that are, that are no longer teenagers. So it's sort of like it's a it, it's it's the, it's ever so slightly great. It's a it's a kind of continuation on from the Lost Boys, really, isn't it? it it's got that whole kind of moody, sort of like conflicted um sort of element to it that vampirism and that certain vampire fiction can can lend you and you know, vampires and and young people work really really well together on screen because there's just a big massive ball of emotions a lot of it suppressed emotions as well and frustration and anger and and savagery and all, all, all mixed up there and so it, it's got a fantastic basis with which to build a film and it smartly, in my opinion, doesn't get too overcomplicated with what it's trying to do. It focuses, I think, on its protagonists very effectively. I think there are areas where there could have been more work done. But in view of the fact that, what is it, a two-hour movie? You know, oh, we have to be careful not to look at these kind of movies through modern eyes. Where we're expecting... I would imagine that the MCU's version of Blade, if it comes out, will be at least two hours and 30 minutes. So you'll have an extra half an hour, if not another hour, of character development. And, 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 you know, the, the character's just not rich enough. This is not a rich enough story to be able to go that deep. So I think it, it, it walks that line really well, actually. Um, and, and you've got a, an enjoyable but sufficiently ponderous uh, movie uh, to be able to, to, to get, get enough into without it troubling your mind too much, but without necessarily you just, like, reaching for your phone after whenever they get to the character bits. Mm. Yeah, I... I, I, I fully agree with you there terry uh, gary 90s vampire movies you've got bram stoker's dracula comes out in 92 interview with the vampire the anne rice classic comes out in 94 and then you get blade uh, it's, it's a trilogy as far as i'm concerned <laughs> you're, you're forgetting buffy the vampire slayer movie oh the movie well. of course the, yes 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 the... Yeah, we'll get on to Buffy in there, soon, yeah. soon, soon enough, soon enough. Don't worry. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, but I think we get I, where I you're have... coming from, though, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, I don't think it's a surprise, actually, that this was one of the first. Well, you know, if you 
again, we, we can exclude Howard the Duck in the 80s, but this is really the first kind of um, Marvel character being brought to the screen because I think a lot of people, and, and myself included at the time, had no idea this was a Marvel character at all. And, you know, you think of comic book movies and generally you think of, of Batman because obviously, you know, Tim Burton had, had brought Batman, but Batman is, is a kind of well-established comic. You've got Spider-Man. A lot of these kind of well-established comic characters, Blade doesn't necessarily come with any of that baggage. So when you add up, you know, you're bringing it to the screen um, in there. You yes, you're going to get the the kind of the Marvel comic book fans coming in, but essentially you're selling, you know, you you summed it up as you know, day walking, half human, half vampire, stopping the vampire apocalypse, uh, and Wesley Snipes is in it. At that point, if you pitch that into some movie executives in the 1990s, just after they've come out of the toilet and uh, taken a packet of something which looks potentially like talcum powder, then of course they're going to greenlight it. The, it's it's just got that pithy, high concept summary that works really well in that 90s action movie landscape where you don't need to think too hard about it. And, you know, you've, you've got all the elements that you'd, you'd want within there um and yeah it's a very um it's a film that nowadays yeah if you look at it through modern lenses you can see there's a lot of potentially missed opportunity for, for kind of character development you can tell the the kind of the visual aesthetics at the time coming into it uh, that uh, are kind of lending it very much. Don't think about this too much. Just enjoy the fact it's Wesley Snipes as a half vampire with a sword and some guns and going around and, and basically disintegrating everything he touches. And most for most people, that would be enough. You could actually come out of this and never have known that you're watching a comic book film. You'd just been like, yep, sick Wesley Snipes with a blade, slashing through vampires. Cool, I'm down with that lots of lots of interesting things in there um and it, it it dances so many different lines into there so yeah you've got the comic book stuff you've got the 90s action stuff and obviously because you bring in vampires you bring in horror as well and all of those you know you put those three things together and done well or reasonably well um I, i'm kind of be interested i'll talk a little bit more about my feelings as probably as we get through i wasn't like hugely sold but i wasn't didn't dislike it either um but you put those three together and, and you tick so many boxes that taking it out of the comic book land it, it makes sense why it was a hit it well, yeah and it was um and it was so much that it had two sequels as well uh including the next one which was directed by guillermo del toro yes the guillermo <laughs> del toro yeah i didn't know that yeah yeah <laughs> blade two look it up come on um so yeah, it, it it does not only spawn all of the the Marvel films uh, that follow it, but I think you, what you see here as well is this is a real testing ground as well. This is and not just testing ground as as what they can do technically, but what they can do with with the stories as well, and what and how they can develop characters. Um, and I think the not the necessarily in the mistakes because I don't think there are a lot of mistakes. This is a very very basic action popcorn movie for me uh i look at this and i compare it to films like highlander and terminator both of which could have been comic books before they they they, they uh, came to, to the big screen 
you've got to look at uh, what David Goyer worked on beforehand. He he did the um, he wrote the uh, Crow sequel, City of Angels, and he wrote uh, Dark City. Also, both of which, I mean, well, the Crow did come from from uh, from a comic, um, and and Dark City was there as well. So so. Y- You've got those sort of things that are coming out with stories that that the the paying public probably aren't aren't familiar with at all, and or or not familiar at all because they're they're brand new new, new stories uh, and running with them. I was going to say, Graham, but but on that, like I can imagine at the time because we we've just come off what Batman and Robin, probably one of the worst yeah. films ever made. Yeah. So, a comic book another comic book adaptation at that time of probably one of the better known comic book characters is going to be weirdly probably much more risky because of what it's seen of spandex and you know high cam and all the ridiculousness that comes around here that's going to be a much harder sell than a um, half man half vampire slashing the hell out of um, people to a techno beat that that's that's going to be it. Yeah, I, I weirdly now, like obviously comic books don't need much of a sell to get greenlit. But back then, I can imagine that a studio executive would have been super nervous about bringing a well-known comic book character back to the film after uh, after the Schumacher debacle. Well, yeah, Terry, I mean, a, a, a Batman reader from the 90s would have expected a Batman film to be much more like Blade than Batman and Robin. Yeah, the, the, I mean, uh, maybe we'll get the opportunity to, to, to dig one of the Batman movies out of the landfill and, and, and have, a, have a look at it because it's, it falls within there. But, but, but yeah, I mean, I can only echo what Gary said there because, yeah, they must have been super nervous about the idea of doing superhero movies at that point. Um, I, I think, that, however, that the more I'm thinking about this, the more I'm thinking, well, yeah, yeah, there's this, and listening to what you guys are saying, you're thinking yeah, they're not, the, the issue here isn't let's, let's, let's start making movies about Marvel characters. It's like what pre-existing vampire related characters can we dust off that we might have the right to, or an option for and turn into a successful mid budget popcorn movie as uh, right blade and away they go even better. They can cast a man of color in it as well. So you can, you so, so which is a, a fantastic move and, and something that you want you know, it's not certainly in the super, in the nineties. Not many examples of movies where where the protagonist and the main the main hero character is black. So they're looking at this and thinking, maybe cynically, there's a fantastic commercial opportunity with this with with this character. Let's do it. Obviously, Wesley Snipes at this point at the peak of his powers, and it's a marriage made in heaven. And yeah, getting David Goyer in, who's done comic book adaptations before. It's all set itself up nicely. But yeah, I think that I, I suspect they were thinking, let's not make a Marvel film. Let's make a vampire film who just happens to be based on a on a Marvel character. It's not like Blade is a he's, he's not a, exactly a tier one Marvel character, is he? So, no. you know, he's maybe two tier two or tier three at best. So so he gets definitely the idea. I mean, if these characters were real. You know, you'd have had Spider-Man and Captain America, you know, and Iron Man and Thor all looking at Blade and saying, how on earth has this guy got a movie and I don't have a movie? <laughs> to which the answer is, you know, patience, my friend, your time will come. <laughs> and it certainly did. Um, and and you can see how long it, it's taken, where he sits on the pecking order, by how long it's taken for them to reboot the franchise. Um, 
But a, a lot of that is, of course, down to the fact that um, they run they ran with the story so much that they basically created recreated the story. All they had really was the name Blade and the look, um, because in the in the in the comic books that came out in the seventies and it came out with a whole slew of horror related stuff that came out in the early 70s when the comics code relaxed itself so you could bring out supernatural characters uh, into um, the world of comics um but it was very much a period in that in that sort of like sort of 72 to 77 sort of golden age of of vampire and werewolf by nights and things like that um and so they got forgotten in the 80s when when comic books exploded and people didn't really want that those sort of uh, stories but blade wasn't a uh, a walking a living vampire he was just basically a vampire hunter um but this was a, a case i think in the in the comics now where he's been retconned now into the character from the movie um also whistler uh, the character, uh, uh, Chris Christopherson's character, was a completely new character. And when Marvel decided that they'd bring him into the Marvel Universe, then uh, David Goyer said, "Well, actually, he's my character. You can't, you can't have him." So it got uh, this. <laughs> this was a, a, an illustration of the the sort of rights hell that Marvel were in at the time, that not being able to keep control of their franchise or or anything that was out there. Um, because of a load of deals that Stan Lee had written off in the 80s when he wasn't really interested in producing comics anymore. It's interesting, isn't it, Graham? Because, sorry to interrupt, I was just thinking um, that the um, they're still paying for that now, of course, because the Spider-Man movies are with Sony and they've had to do a deals to get bring Spider-Man into the cinematic universe and then back out again so yeah so it, it, it is a it is interesting how they're still having to it's taken them it took it took them a merge between it took disney buying fox in order to reintegrate the x-men back into the yeah. mcu so so yeah sorry I, I i interjected there but yeah do carry on well yeah but that's because of 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 how wide ranging their 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 franchise is it's so big and it's worth so much money that, of course, everyone who owns it doesn't want to give up the rights to it. Um, but it, it's just so interesting about how this whole thing starts. A, a Category C character um, who I, I didn't even know about. I've got 6,000 Marvel comics upstairs and uh, I, I probably do not have a single one that has Blade in it. Um, it it is it is remarkable. Now I probably do. I've probably got a few Spider Man comics with them in. Um, but yeah, it, it is just amazing how about how much. But I think it's because of the time, and and I think it sits in well. Now Terry, um, you and I are big Buffy fans. How did you feel when you watched this and when you compared it to Joss Whedon's uh, series from the late nineties? Started a year before this actually came out. Yeah, I, mean, I think that I, 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 I think the reason why I warmed to the film uh, on the rewatch was was probably because of of my love of Buffy, which didn't come until I think I didn't get into the Buffy uh, films until season uh, films TV show until season four, mm. um, which ironically, of course, is probably at the point where the series starts to go into a very gradual decline. 
Um, it peaks at the end of season three, in my in my opinion. Um, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, but but I, I and I, th- I think that it, the film kind of made a little bit more sense in my own mind um, when when I got that because you know the just the the way in which the action flows. Obviously, the the vampire deaths are very very similar as well. Um, and 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 it all just felt a lot more comfortable to me and less jarring when I watched that. And and I, I think that. I don't know whether or not Buffy is particularly trailblazing in terms of its com- of, of its portrayal of vampirism, um, but I certainly think stylistically it, it it was it was a breakthrough series, and the visuals were and, and the imagination behind the visuals were clearly influential. And it might well be that it was just a, I mean. As far as I remember, if I know my vampiric law, you know, vampires do turn to dust when they die, right? When they get hit by sunlight, they turn to dust. Uh, and although, you know, I, if you're in the Hammer, if, you're, if you watch a lot of Hammer movies, they don't turn to dust when you stake them. But the idea of them turning to dust when you do it, it's all pretty consistent, you know, and it works quite, it works quite well. Uh, and and I really I, I quite enjoy that what that opening five minutes the opening sort of like set piece action sequence is is very stark and very effective and then having with all of these episodes of Buffy behind me I felt well at home watching the rest of this movie yeah same here I, I, Gary what do you, do you think there's a there's an element there of of that whole um, the uh, vampires turning to dust. Do you think there's a whole lead-in with 90s video games where, to save on memory, um, people that you killed just disappeared? <laughs> Quite po- I, I, You know what? I hadn't actually thought about that, but you are obviously in a, in a peak video game period as well where you've started to get a lot of these, these games out. And, again, it, it ticks those boxes as well you know you, the open i'd agree with terry the opening sequence is is fantastic it, it's the that kind of set play in there it's slightly kind of weird and disturbing but visual you can see you can definitely see the kind of the the link through to to something like buffy within there um but yeah you've also got the fact that you know baddie bad guy is hit and then turns to dust yeah i mean you you'd get that in a lot of video games if you're playing the first person shooters as well or or you know anything like that i mean i look i'm probably stretching it a bit too much given where things have gone now but um you know you, again you can kind of see a little bit of line to stuff the kind of really epic games now like assassin's creed you can probably draw a bit of a line back to something like blade within there because you've got that character that could that can sort of span into to kind of universe ends and things and he's kind of you know it, it's made for a video game um i think because again this was a period when i was i was probably peak into video games i was working in electronics boutique on a saturday job at the time so got to play a lot of video games um and this this kind of falls bang within there um and yeah it's 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 a kind of weird it's a weird mishmash of of or not mishmash kind of like horizon of um styles and various other bits of culture almost coming together and if part of what i felt with watching blade was that post blade you've kind of crossed the line into something else which is probably much more akin to where we are now in in kind of culture and horror and cinema and action and comic books but you've also got a lot of what comes before and 
it definitely feels even though i think you know the film the film is popcorn i, I don't necessarily think they ne they they thought too much about its cultural impact but you can definitely see like bits before and a bit after it definitely wipes away any thought of of you know the campy comic book stuff while clearing the decks for marvels go maybe we can have a have a go at this um and also putting in a lot of the other culture elements that come into there because yeah you you have buffy which is taking vampire lore and bringing it into something which is really appealing to to teenage girls you've got um you know i don't i know that i don't think either of you have seen it or seen bits of it but you you few years later into the early noughties you had the fantastic series on bbc3 being human um which probably take, took a lot more from that um the the, the bits that i actually found really interesting were the the kind of conflicts between frost and the old vampires and the pure bloods and the half bloods and being human i think it probably you know the creators of that had probably seen that in blade and gone there's something really interesting to dig into that kind of conflict and character and and you know society in there and and that spawned you know it's a fantastic series if you haven't seen it i can i i think it probably holds up well enough today i say that having not seen it in a while but i binge watched all five series um at the end of yeah about, in, about a decade ago and it was still pretty good um but yeah so you you've kind of got it launching a lot of stuff where you could see potential for kind of tv series and everything that comes from there but at the same time it's just a it, it's a kick-ass action film that is you know has elements that are you know a bit forgettable but elements that are really really fun as well it takes a lot of music video stylistics that come into there it takes a lot of pop culture that comes in it bundles it all up into a place and again come back to it, it it's such a 1998 film that it hurts it could not be <laughs> any more 1998 if it tried wesley snipes muscles are bursting at the scenes with 1998 in them but... he just he just spraying 1998 everywhere isn't he <laughs> certainly is i mean that God, there's a thought <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, yes, yeah. I mean, there's no doubt about it, is it, Terry? The 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 film is is locked and loaded. I, I think you can see as 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 Gary mentioned there, uh, being being human. Uh, this is a slow decline of the whole uh, uh, moody vampire thing, isn't it? Because and which which ends at, at Taika Waititi's uh, um, uh, what we do do in the shadows, isn't it? It's it's it, it, it ends up there, and well, you can't take vampires anywhere else now. You've got to completely re re reboot them from now on. Yeah, it, it, it's the, it's that high point of as you say, like vampire vampire movies is being unutterably grim and humorless. Yeah. Um, and, and already the subversion of that of that genre is happening through Buffy, because there's tons of humour um, and lightness in, in in Buffy, you know. And and we're also seeing the emergence of you know sympathetic vampire characters through that TV show in Angel, but also like humorous bad guys like Spike. I mean, one of the reasons why Spike why, why Buffy went downhill was when they changed Spike. Yeah. Um, and 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 and, it, and it's it's. Um, yeah, we're already seeing that happen. So it is that kind of. It's the sort of. It's that sort of final hurrah. Well, actually, I suppose probably its subsequent sequels really are, but it marks the point. So like, this is the last character where you know that kind of. Although it, he's half a vampire, obviously he's just kind of not. But but of this kind of vampiric character 
with a tortured soul you know, yeah. that Anne Rice stick as Spike once called it you know that <laughs> the, kind of begins you know with Anne Rice in the 70s and and with that Marvel um, explosion of interesting or, or like that Marvel explosion that is, is symbolic of that kind of you know vampires as 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 moody as grim as as nasty but also with an element of sympathy i mean bringing some character to them rather than you know you've got your first era which is just your pure evil your draculas and your dracula lights you know your, your wannabe draculas and then you've got your, yeah you've, you've got your more your lestats who perhaps or or, or or i can't remember the name of the stats um, a companion who's more yeah. sympathetic, but where you're looking to be more specific. I mean, Coppola's Dracula is more sympathetically portrayed. He's seen as being someone, I mean, it begins with the film with him experiencing tremendous tragedy and, and obviously him not handling it very well at all um, and then becoming a vampire. And, and so we're, we're, he's imbuing sympathy on us. And, and, and Blade, I think, is a sort of like, because also helped by the fact that he's on the side of the angels, he's one of the good guys. But but he has that that classic vampire trope of of being utterly tortured, with the extra wrinkle of the fact that he's neither one nor other, which is another great trope, particularly for the for the demograph the, 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 that it's being aimed at. You know, you know, mis- being misunderstood, not feeling as though you're who you are or where you are. You know, th- these are these are tropes that 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 people, particularly young people, can easily identify with in their characters. Oh, of course, of course. I mean, the, this, these are the the, the angst that, that every teenager has gone through, isn't it? Do I fit in? Do I not? Um, do I look cool? Do I don't or, or not? Uh, sticking it to the old guys, you know. That's who who hasn't brought an old guy out onto a beach and let him burn in the sun, eh? Yeah, yeah we all did that at seventeen, well, didn't we? Who, who hasn't wanted to anyway? <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There is that. There is that. Um, I, I, while we're on that subject, it, we should talk about the the effects in this because this is part of the whole nineteen ninety eight ness about about this film. Now, this film wasn't cheap. It wasn't. It wasn't mega bucks, but it was. It was, I think, the budget was twice what Snipes had uh, for um, for Passenger Fifty Seven, so it, this is this is a reasonably a reasonably lavish film, um, and you can see they've spent the money on it. Well, they've got they've got some names in, haven't they? But well, some names in there. Um, I should think Snipes wasn't cheap at that point because he was he was he was he was box office at the time. Um, but Terry, let's have a let's have a talk about let's specifically talk about that one the 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 burning of the vampire on the beach, and then we'll go on to the closing sequence and and the and the and where <laughs> all the effects really come out. Then uh, how how do you feel of the, the undercranking aside because that's that's seventies that's sixties stuff that they were doing there. What about the late nineties stuff that they were doing in there as well? Well, I think that um, I think it's it works <clears throat> because they because they again, and it goes back to what we constantly talk about, and that sincerity. Um, uh, 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 they they just absolutely go for it. They don't apologise for it, and and also because I think there's there's imagination uh, and thought behind what it is that they're trying to what they're trying to do. The 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 the, the beach scene. I mean, I have seen more effective ways of, of 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 dusting a vampire in this way, but the, you know, the, you know, it's 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 cold, deliberate, cold-blooded murder, and 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 kind of a form of patricide as well. 
and and so so the the the, the power of the act um i think carries does a lot of the heavy lifting in that scene you know it, it's a it, it's the, you know they've committed the, an, um, a brutal extremely painful murder um of of a of a strong authority figure um, and it's and it's packed in with with huge amounts of youthful resentment and hatred towards this figure and they all come it all comes out in that it comes out in the direction it comes out in the acting which then means <clears throat> that we can forgive the somewhat ropey effects you know um and 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 I think that that scene works. They also have a nice, wisely have a nice cutaway towards the end of that, of that sequence. So we have some distance between the viewer and the subject, and so therefore that also that covers something of a multitude of sins as well. And that also I think helps. So actually, I think it was pretty skillfully done. And I think that that sums up what what why the CGI, although not not terribly good, works in this movie by comparison to, say, another movie, say, from a couple of years earlier, Escape from L.A., where John Carpenter, who is a director I've got a huge amount of love and time for, doesn't handle it remotely as well, the CGI, in, in, in that movie. Um, and, and if anything, perhaps, you know, maybe, maybe Stephen Norrington, you know, a much younger man than Carpenter was when he made that film, um, you know, when he made Escape from L.A., might, might have learnt from those and said, oh, yeah, I mean, this stuff is good and it's impressive, but it's not absolutely spot on yet. I mean, they would have known this stuff looks okay, but it's they're still pushing at the margins here. And so I thought it was quite skillfully shot. Hold on. It's, well. um, I, I was going to say with the CGI as well, I mean, like, it, it's. I can imagine that if you saw it at the time, you'd probably be like, holy crap, that was pretty cool because again you you do have a lot of ropey cgi and you know now when you look at it you it, it looks dated but at the same time there's enough like cgi stuff that that's going around that it probably felt you know it doesn't doesn't detract from the film in some ways that uh, cgi can do um from other ones and you know again not wanting to keep going back to my to my uh, childhood trauma of die another day but the, there's a, some very very bad cgi in that film very bad cgi and that was what four four years later yeah. um so you know there, there's a lot that's done really really badly around that time but it also gives you like it, it it's again when i kind of talk about it being on a bit of an edge like you see cgi now how well it's done um i actually just recently watched um dr strange multiverse of madness for the first time and and the the sequence where zombie benedict cumberbatch puts on a, a cloak full of ghouls actually reminded me a lot of or the the scene with um frost basically getting inhabited by the uh the the whatever of the dead vampires that are going into him actually felt very very kind of similar within there but then the same point you've also got like it makes you have a better appreciation for i think some films that um are a bit that you know some films that didn't rely on cgi um i i've said on our whatsapp group chat before we came in 
I think Yafet Kato's death in uh, Live and Let Die remains a high point for inflating uh, death by inflation <laughs> on screen. Um, it also makes you appreciate just how well they did that because, I, you know, you go, oh, yeah, the guy swallowed, a, uh, you know, swallowed the shark pellet and he's now inflated and died. And that didn't seem out of case. Whereas here you've got, uh, oh, OK, you, you, you've gone a little bit funny into CGI. You've also got a bit of um, the character Pearl who reminded me as much as anything else of, of Baron Harkonnen from the uh, from June as well. So you've got some interesting stuff going on there, which throws back. But then, yeah, it's it's showing where it could go. Um, dated now, but I, ca- I can imagine. Yeah, as a, if I'd seen this as a cinema and Terry, you obviously saw it at the cinema. You'd have probably gone, holy shit, this stuff is actually pretty cool. I thought that it was impressive at the time, if I remember rightly. I mean, it was a very long time ago and I didn't enjoy watching it at the cinema. I didn't think it was very good. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, I mean, I don't think I was in the kind of right headspace at the time. I don't think I was, I just wasn't in. Maybe I was kind of sick of those kind of movies by that point, which maybe is a kind of bellwether for maybe a lot of people were a bit sick of those kind of movies by that point. The movie did well. But of course, they started to do this kind of genre movie somewhat differently after, at this point. And maybe this is that's why this is kind of the last one. I think, again, you have to remember, um, think about the, uh, let's, the, we are a James Bond podcast, right? Let's think, let's think about the, the mass, mess of CGI in Die Another Day, the paragliding in Iceland, right? And just think about that and then compare that to the final sequence in Blade. The, the huge difference is the viscerality is completely absent in, 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 in Die Another Day. There's nothing, there's no emotion, there's no belief, there's no sincerity whatsoever in that. You know, I mean, the, I think a lot of the reason why the effects work in this movie is down, in particular to Stephen Dorff. I think he's brilliant in this film. I think his character is, is excellent. I mean, it's, it's, it's an easy character to play for him, but he does it extremely well. He doesn't, he doesn't phone it in whatsoever and doesn't take the piss out of the role. And I, and I think that uh, the character, and I think that that's really important and it shows. And so if you can see round the edges, that's okay because, and again, again, this will be down to direction. It's, it's about how much screen time are you giving to your actors and how much heft are the actors putting into it. And in that way, really, because that's what effects are supposed to do. They're supposed to be around the edges. They're supposed to be at the periphery. And that's why movies like Doctor Strange, Multiverse of Madness fail miserably because they don't they don't they don't do that and this is a problem in general with DC's latter Marvel Cinematic Universe's films is that they're not giving enough license to their directors so you're getting people like Sam Raimi Sam Raimi making soulless bits of cinema you know Sam fucking Raimi you know i mean that's just that's that's so so, so and i think that that's the that's the the strength of this movie how good would Blade have been with Sam Raimi at the helm? I was I was thinking that actually after I finished watching it, I was like, yeah, I, I don't dislike Stephen Norrington's direction. Uh, he, he did go and make League of, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, which is a terrible film. Um, but <laughs> and he, nothing else after. No, no, um, for many many reasons. But yeah, you can see, and again, he brings that. I think that kind of young sort of video kind of get, uh, music video energy to it as well. But then, yeah, I was watching this and going, because again, I, I kind of give that call back to, to some of those those sequences in, in the multiverse of madness um, where you can see the bits where, where Sam Raimi's trying to bring himself, bring more Sam Raimi into it. And I was like, 
man, I'd have, I'd have loved to have seen, like, you know, I know he did Spider-Man, but I'd love to have seen him get his hands on some of those darker characters earlier in his career. If nothing else, I think I, this is an uncontroversial take. How good would it have been just to see Bruce Campbell pop up in this movie? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, I, 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 I submit one, one, one 90s vampire film that I haven't mentioned because it doesn't really fit in very well with the narrative is Dust Till Dawn. Um, uh, because oh, God, it's, man, it's a, I hate it's that a film. Well, I'm just putting it there, okay? <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's landfill compliant, though, isn't it? It must be. It, it yeah, is late certainly, night, it? certainly okay. landfill compliant. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Robert Rodriguez, isn't it? Yeah. Mm, mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, well. Uh, um. Well. Let's let's go. Uh, we, we've we've covered so much ground on this already, but I think um what what I want to do now is I want to go uh, perhaps go into a bit more into the characters of the film. Um. I I, I would say let's go through the storyline or anything like that, but yeah, it's so basic. Then what? <laughs> it is just a bunch of stuff that happens, really. Um. So it's. <laughs> and and it's great because of that but let's talk about whistler the the, the character which was a, a, a david goyer original character that he 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 brought into there now originally whistler um was the the his character the mentor of blade in the comic books was an old black uh, jazz musician who taught uh, blade everything about it and yet now we've got this basically old-fashioned gunslinger um, uh, who is now the mentor, the um, the anti-Rupert Giles, if you will. Um, uh, uh, so uh, <laughs> what do we think of Chris Christopherson's role? What do we think of Rubber Duck's role here in, uh, in, in, in Blade, Terry? Uh, well, I mean, I thought Chris, Chris Christopherson did a fine job in portraying what was a pretty much out-of-the-box you know, uh, old white mentor guy. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's shades of cowboy of, of of cowboy about him, isn't there? And I think that that's probably what they're what they're going for, or, or certainly, you know, a war veteran, um, most definitely war veteran, uh, and and you know, tapping into you know those early examples of survivalist characters as well. You know, there's a there's a there's a healthy dose of paranoia uh, about about Whistler, which you would expect. But he just we're watching him through a modern filter and and you're just ascribing all manner of different other kind of characteristics. <laughs> dog the, whistler. The, the, yeah, dog whistler. Yeah. <laughs> Very much a kind of, you know, you know, I mean wouldn't wouldn't look out of place, you know, you know. You, I mean you know where it would have been in January twenty twenty, wouldn't you? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> you know exactly where he would Oh been, yeah. Uh, you know. And I think that's a bit of a shame, and it's a bit of a shame that you know that that that, that history has has perhaps sort of perverted the, the the character. And when we look at him, and perhaps you know it is he is somewhat perverted as well. Depending on your point of view, listeners. But the now, I think in our point of view, that's that's how I would see it. But but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It's a really straightforward trope, isn't it? So you know, you have to have a mentor. Even James Bond has a sort of like an older guy who usually helps out and often dies in the third reel. And without wishing to give away too many, you're giving away a, a massive spoiler. Surprise, surprise! You know, so you always know what's going to happen to guys like that. Um, and he he certainly helped with the expeditionary dialogue as well, which again <laughs> yes. is another essential component requirement of these characters. Oh, especially in a vampire film, you've got to know the rules. <laughs> 
Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's one of his films where the film is 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 is, is, is I think is inexcusably weak. Is that I think that they could have done more work with the universe building in building that out in such a way without having to sort of like you know sort of like you know basically explain everything. Um, uh, but but you know, I mean, you know, it, it's it is what it is, and that's fine. But... Yeah, it, it's a isn't it? it it's that point where actually you don't need to explain too much as long as you've got your your action on screen you know there's there's many films that i'm sure we've all got a, a love for where you know as, as you said brent stuff happens um it's not exactly as if they they put an awful lot of thought into the plot or or even in some cases the dialogue but we've still got a love for it um and and it kind of does its its job um for what it's meant to do i'm also like uh, and again i'm seeing this one through a, a kind of more modern lens as well and i totally uh, totally get where you're coming from on whistler i'm slightly a ple- uh, i say surprised i don't know whether pleasantly surprised is the right track but how you know it's a film like the matrix has been um adopted by a, a cons- far-right conspiracy theory um sort of yeah the, the community in that regard blade plays in some very similar spaces you know you've got a shadowy, shadowy cabal of vampires who are co- secretly controlling everything you know you've got reality that you can't trust you've got the man in the bunker with his with his guns um telling you not to trust authority within there um it's it yeah i mean it's again it, it's like popcorn but it's also, you know, there's a there's a lot of kind of deep state conspiracy stuff going on if they bothered to go into that, which they didn't, which is probably a good thing, to be honest. They didn't need to. I mean, I think that's no. the thing. I don't think they needed to. I think they think that the, the, the visuals and the narrative of the movie on its own would have just carried that through there. I mean, like you didn't need to be told, oh, there's a big cabal of vampires controlling everything because we've already met the big cabal of, of, of vampires controlling everything. So we don't really, we, that, we're not that thick. We can, we can work that part out, you know, and also, you know, there were mo- the movie, the movie moves towards a climax that suggests apocalypse is coming. See, so don't, we don't need the backstory, you know, it's sort of, you know, it kind of make it a little bit more immediate, a little bit more urgent. I might be looking at it through, through modern, a modern film but I don't think so I think that these are these are the things that could have been that would have lifted the movie a little bit more yeah yeah I mean I think I think it is easy for a, a vampire film to 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 slip into anti-capitalism he's literally a bloodsucker look look at him um but it, it's I, I think it, it is that those sort of things it's a hollywood movie after all um so it's it's not gonna it, it's not gonna really tread too heavily on those on, on those metaphors um but i i i, I yeah i i think that there's there's been some rumblings so obviously Blade is a is a film that that does not sit high in in the public consciousness anyway. It's going to come back, uh, and I think if people do go back to it, especially young people, they might look back and think, "Well, why is this coming back?" Or apart from the fact that, that Wesley Snipes is really, really, really cool in it, um, but I don't think they'd remake it. Well, when they do remake it, and they will, um, I don't think they're going to remake it like that. I don't think Whistler's going to be there, or if he is. I think he's going to be very, very different. I think you're going to see. I think you're certainly going to see uh, a different type of casting there. Who do you think, Terry, they would put in there? What type of person do you think they would put in there? And and what background and what motivations are they going to be? That whole sort of gnarled, 
mild, um, basically old-fashioned action hero, uh, basically the old 70s, 60s action hero there. Or, or, or who are they going to have in there now? Is it going to be someone from an early 2000s type action hero that they're going to have there? Well, I wouldn't be at all surprised if they actually went back to the source material yeah. and did that instead, made, made, uh, made the character a man of colour. And yeah, maybe, yeah, maybe a kind of bleeding gums Murphy type, you know. And, 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 and a, I mean, I'm thinking about sort of like, uh, you know, they, one of the characters, say, from um, so Winter yeah. Soldier and, and, and the Falcon. And 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 the old guy who's in who fought in the you know it, it yeah. fought for his country but it was cast aside. I wonder whether or not that's an area that they might want to go down with. I can I can already hear the the, the populist YouTubers screaming ah woke nonsense you know. But I mean I I think that that will be consistent with with the character to to do. Uh, and and I don't think that we're living in a world now where they would necessarily want. Uh, a strong uh, black character to be, you know, uh, necessarily sort of like have uh, reporting into a senior or, or, or a white guy. I just don't think they would look at it that way. I don't think that's how. I don't think that's how modern audience modern audiences want to see as well. Bluntly, um, so I, I I can't. I mean, you know that when they remake Blade, that the people who watch there we have a certain subset of people who like the original film will not like the fact that Whistler is not the same, for example. And there'll be some troublemakers who couldn't, could care, couldn't care less about the movie that will, will make that. So I think Blade will always is always going to be a troubled a troubled release. Um, but, you know, I mean, we, you know, we talk about the kind of like deep stake metaphors and stuff like that. I mean, I think the last time Marvel tried that quite recently was Secret Invasion, which really was quite difficult to watch and extremely disappointing um and i'm not optimistic about about a remake of of blade i think it 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 needs to be it it needs to be quite bold and i think that that is what blade is it is a, it is bold i mean it is bold to sort of like you know suggest I mean, you know they they totally kill policemen in this in this movie i mean like you know they they, <laughs> they, 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 they yeah, bad ones, true, but the assumption is is that they're all bad because they're yeah. all on the take. Mm-hmm. There's a really interesting bit towards the end where the, one of the guys who's about to get killed says, please, yeah. please, I, I just work, work for him. <laughs> just tapping into a, 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 a trope about henchmen and about, you know, should henchmen be, you know, that which I thought was actually quite, and it's just a nice little moment and suggests that there's a bit of thought going in there, that there is some thought challenging some of, the, some of these tropes, mm. which is, I mean, you know, let's not get carried away here, you know, but I mean, it's a, it, it's, it, it's a, it's a, it's a thoughtful film in, in that respect. Um, and I thought that that was a nice, well, well, a nice moment to include. Yeah, I think there are there are tiny little little little, little points of that, and there are things that I'm glad they don't expand upon. I think they're just throwaway lines. Like I think uh, mm. the 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 line about like vampirism being a sexually transmitted disease, I think is 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 one of the is like real. Yeah, that's a tick one there, there because it, it just it it just takes all the magic and mystique away from it as well, and uh, but also keeps it going, makes it a laugh, makes it a joke, and that and that's one thing about it this isn't played for laughs it's not it, it's not a parody of a vampire film it's a vampire film but it, it has humor in it and and it works really well and i think snipes is key to that because he is he's such a good actor and and especially doing the 
action, the comedy, and and the lines, and the broodiness as well, and carrying it all off like that, I think it's just an absolutely five star performance from him. Don't you think, Gary? Yeah, he was he's fantastic in it. I mean, I'm 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 kind of a bit neither here nor there with the film. I, I, there's bits I liked about it, and there's bits that I I I've kind of like nah, I, I probably wouldn't wouldn't seek it out again anytime soon to watch. But at the same point, you know. Yeah, Wesley Snipes. I mean, he's he's a fantastic screen presence at any point you put him on. Um, and I think, you know, casting wise, he was so spot on. And I think, yeah, a lot of why probably Blade uh, success or at least kind of has this this bit that sits a little bit in popular culture is just the the poster itself and the character itself. Even if you know nothing about comic books, again, coming back to that, he just looks cool. You know, Wesley Snipes just needs to stand with glasses, couple of, you know, sword and a gun. And you go, yeah, this man looks genuinely, genuinely cool. And, you know, for the for the demographic it was going at, I think it, it ticks a lot of boxes. But, yeah, he's 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 having a lot of fun with the role. And like you said, Terry, he doesn't like he doesn't play it in a way where he's he's just chewing scenery with the script he, you can tell that he's got into it a bit and he's having he's enjoying himself and he's taking it seriously but also bringing that element of of wesley snipes to it um and you know he it's at that time you know as, you, as as i think you said graham peak of his powers as well and so you've got really a a, a performance which is kind of made for screen and, and casting wise is so so spot on um and just you know he doesn't actually say an awful lot either and that's again you know the fact that he becomes so believable as a character is a lot to do with the nuances that probably you know most people might not necessarily see because you've got you know wesley snipes doing action hero but he's very good at conveying things with a with a look or a grimace or or elements like that so Casting wise, the movie was was absolutely, I think, spot on for what it is. And again, that that's some of the things that can really elevate films, which I think in in you know, even with the same kind of script and director, if they'd miscast this, I think it would have been an absolute, you know, shocking watch. You would have just not enjoyed it at all because the casting was wrong. But they they clicked everything perfectly into gear into there and when the film has its bits which drag or it has its bits that are a little bit you know those those bits where you kind of like oh it drags a bit you've got the cast that are going to be lifting it out of there in a minute so it always remains quite watchable um even if it, it doesn't kind of reach those 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 heights in there so yeah I'm, and again i think you know one of the things that when they do bring it back, um, you know, the, the the other characters around it will be really, really key. Just one thing I was going to say that I'd love to see or I think would be an obvious choice for the mentor in the reboot would probably be Forrest Whitaker. I think he probably would be the an absolute, you know, kind of kicks into that. Also very handy with the blade if you've ever seen um, probably little seen film Jim Jarmusch's uh guys dog way of the samurai which was is a is a fantastic film again oh, i can I'll really recommend that, that. or, or, or indeed, not seen. assuming that he's been fully rehabilitated maybe perhaps even wesley snipes could play the role of whistler in the in in, in the rebook i don't know i was thinking that i think a lot of people would and i, I you know marvel could probably go a lot worse than go down that route um and it's a i mean again that that kind of you know you talk about the rehabilitation i think it's a kind of 
shame in a way because Snipes is is probably one of those action stars from the 90s who just became a bit lost in terms of cult consciousness because of what happened afterwards but in another universe where where those issues didn't happen Snipes would probably be still one of the biggest stars and you know you'd have him up there you know he'd be doing the the cameos along with the likes of you know Stallone and 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 all those kind of big action movies. He's in the Expendables. <laughs> he is he in the Expendables? He in the, he's in one of the Expendables he, at least. Yeah. I mean, uh, I was about to say also, uh, surely at some point it, it, he's he must be on the long list for 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 an appearance in one of the uh, Fast and Furious movies at some point as well because uh, oh, you uh, know. The, I must admit, uh, if if uh, listeners want a a, a a fine example of his recent work, uh, Dolomite is my name is uh, on Netflix and uh, and is 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 a wonderful hour hour and a half's watch. Is uh, it's it's a very different role. He plays an actor in it. Um, uh, but it's uh, it's an Eddie Murphy vehicle uh, based on the the uh, the Dolomite movies of the of the nineteen seventies. Um, oh, cool. So, so uh, yes. So, Graham, if I may, just just to go back on what Gary was saying about about the uh, you know the emotional tone of this movie is absolutely yeah. spot on. Mm. And again, this is down to the ads. But I think also because I mean because Snipes had had such a massive challenge, and as James Bond fans, we can appreciate this because he has to play a, you know a character who largely is made of granite, who has to endure the kind of suffering that can only that, that only comes from the imagination that that that, that is literally unreal. Uh, and I think, uh, and yet has to has to endure that and carry it, and yet convey, you know, the, the and yet convey the fact that he's carrying that. Though he just isn't wooden. I mean, he's, yeah. he could easily be wooden. You know, there are other actors who would have taken that role, and they would have been wooden. Um, but Wesley, and I think that's illustrated in in this in the in those scenes when he realizes, you know, when he's confronted with 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 his mother or the the the, the vampire that, that that turned his that turned his mother. Yeah. And and and. and and you know those things they could have they could have really lacked resonance i think you know because a different actor would have just not handled it as well and i think that that's where his qualities come through through the subtleties of performance and stuff like that and that's why action movies in general are really really interesting films to look at when you're looking and assessing the performance of actors because they have to play quite outlandish unrealistic characters and yet they have to convey authenticity and realism to them and so it's really interesting to see if they do that well or do that not that's why sean connery is such an amazingly good actor even though he replays a a ridiculous character because he was able to convey emotion just with the wrist lifting of an of of an eyebrow And, and as bond fans i think we can appreciate that Oh, certainly, certainly. And I think this is one thing that's very interesting about about the about superhero genres is because uh, Blade doesn't have a Clark Kent or a Bruce Wayne to escape to. He's not. He's not someone else. He's always this character. So, and, and I think in other films and other sort of comic book adaptations, that hasn't worked. Sometimes I'm thinking back to Sylvester Stallone's Judge Dredd. Um, yeah, Oof. that's we're not going to be digging that out in the in the landfill at any time soon. It's eligible. It's eligible, but yeah, that are you going to dig it out? I'm not. Time. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, I, I, yeah, I've, I've sifted through it a lot of times, but uh, no, I'm not picking that up. Um, so, but yeah, I think it's something we see. I mean, obviously, sometimes we, we see where they concentrate more on the on the alter ego than than the than, than the than, than the superhero thing. 
uh, especially Sam Raimi, was was very much concentrating on Peter Parker, and and obviously when when um, Robert Downey Jr. became Iron Man, those those things aren't Iron Man films; they're Tony Stark films, aren't mm. they? There's mm. Tony Stark one, Tony Stark two, Tony Stark three. It's it is, uh, but that's exactly where they should have gone for. They they they, they took that character, and that's why. Iron Man wasn't on the, the 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 top shelf of 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 superheroes in in the pantheon, became the such such a key um, uh, product basically for 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 the whole franchise. Um, uh, what else do we want to discuss about Blade before I start to wrap up? I would. I. I think I'd quite like to talk, talk about the. The. I mean. I think the. The lighting and the cinematography in this movie. I think it really. I think that constant sense of oppression and sort of foreboding. You know, a real prop, proper horror movie tropes. I mean, it's an R-rated film. Yeah. And it's. It, and it's an unashamed R-rated film. This is an. This is a horror film. And 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 it's like even when it's daylight, you feel oppressed. And and that's another reason why it was the the the, the exposition was unnecessary. Because we were getting this kind of like, well, we feel like we're in a kind of end of day scenario here, you know. Even when the day, even when the sun is out, it isn't really out, you know. And 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 I think that that was obviously that's a clearly a deliberate choice, you know, by the director to do that. And I think that it it, it it's a, and it's it's it, if you're familiar with the horror genres, you'd have seen it all the time. Sunlight, day, daylight brings no relief, you know, just just a pause in suffering. Yeah. And I think that it conveys that really well. So it, it sticks to the horror tropes properly. And, and again, that's why the film is effective. And it's, it's, I mean, I love talking about this film. It isn't, I'm like with Gary, I won't seek it out again. But I really, I really enjoyed discussing this film. Yeah. Because it's just a really interesting example on how to make a really effective, successful, watchable film. You know, and, 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 it's, and not just in 1998. It, 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 it is. Any time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, anytime. I mean, you'd, you'd work with the characters and, and, and stuff like that. I mean, we've not discussed the female lead either, which I think is probably a bit a bit remiss. But I, I think it is probably worth saying that all of the actors, there's not a, there's not a single dropped mic. There's not a single... No one's dropped the bollock in, on, on, on this movie. No. It's all good casting. You know, and they've all delivered what they've been... What they've been that maybe they've not been asked to do that much, but they have delivered... Yeah, I I think that's one of the, the the aspects about this film is the fact that it 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 doesn't it it's not that expansive considering the budget it had. I don't I don't. But then again, I think what it does it does well. It does it 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 creates this thing. I I I said before that um that I equate this film with something like Highlander and Terminator in in what it does. And I know you say it doesn't it doesn't build world build enough. But I think it does enough for you to 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 create your own headcanon about this whole the whole Blade universe. Um, I know in um, in the film Morbius there there is actually Spider Man graffiti on 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 the wall. He walks past, so it, it, that sort of brings him into the whole Marvel universe. Um, but I, I I like the fact that this is out on its own. It's not, and it, it is it. And the fact that you have that sort of it, they don't put it after the credits, but that whole thing of of the 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 end scene there, which could have been mid credits, end of credits, yeah, totally, totally, totally getting that whole thing of what was to come, and it's right here, right here in nineteen ninety eight, brilliantly done. 
I really appreciated that it, it was just a self-contained movie. Um, again, I'm, I, I like a lot of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but sometimes you can really feel, you just sigh a little bit when you can see some bits being forced in there that, that don't necessarily need to be there or they're trying to tie it to something a bit larger. Um, same way that I feel when, when you've got that sequence at the end of Spectre when Bond is walking through the destroyed MI5 and they're trying to link it together and you're like, oh, just stop trying so hard and let me enjoy this film. Um, and I think that's what Blade kind of does well. And, and again, yeah, it, the, the characterizations are great. I was going to say, actually, I think, you know, Karen Karen Jensen could actually have gone for a, her own spin-off quite easily because you've got a really fascinating character who's brilliantly well played and and could quite easily develop into into her own own spin-off or TV. Nowadays, she, she might well even get her own TV series as well because, you know, hematologist bitten by a vampire trying to cure the world. I mean, again, that, that has a really nice kind of pithy element to it and yeah I'm, I'm with terry i think this is a this is a good example of how to just make a film which can do well at a box office by virtue of not needing to try too hard i wouldn't say it's a it's a great film i i kind of found myself like some films you just have a grin on your face throughout and you can't wait for the next bit and you just keep on smiling and some bits you're just like god this really you know you kind of you lose your attention and i i found myself wandering off more times than i'd want to re-watching it but it's it's a, it's a film that is watchable enough and it does its job perfectly well for what it's needing to do and i think a lot of a lot of kind of lesser films that have been made in the last 20 years or so could have really learned a lot from just how blade structures stuff they they get the basics right mm. and sometimes that's absolutely all you need to make a film that is perfectly servable watchable and will give you a good return at the box office i mean i think you can kind of tell my my feelings on the film are just like it, it exists um I, and like Terry, I think I probably enjoyed discussing it more than I've enjoyed watching it. <laughs> but it's also it's also, you know, there, there is a lot there's a lot to like about it when you break it down. But there's also, yeah, it, it, it's a, it's a lovely template action movie film that really I don't think I think some people try to overthink it these days in, in what they're doing. And realistically, if you just went back, lifted the template from Blade, lifted every kind of element in their casting tropes, you know, hero, you know, you can lift them, you could put them into any other story and they would work perfectly well. Um, and you'd have a very, very serviceable action film from within there. Um yeah, whether it, you know, whether it, it just, I mean, and again, I love, I did love the ending where it kind of set up for, hey, we're going to have some more fun here. <laughs> this is going to be good in, in the next ones. And I can't remember the other two. I don't think I've ever seen Blade Trinity, but I'm pretty sure that I don't need to. I know I've seen Blade 2, cannot remember it either. You know, it it's forgettable popcorn, which let's face it, we, we kind of celebrate a little bit. Although I'm going to put it out here, out of all the films we've done on the land film, this is probably the one I've enjoyed the least. And if you ask me, like you put down a, a list of landfill films and you gave me um, which one would you want to watch before the others, I would definitely pick Blue Thunder over this. I enjoyed Blue Thunder far more than I did Blade. I think, I think yeah, all I would say, is, 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 listening to you, Gary, is that I think what the film possibly lacks is maybe a signature scene or a signature, maybe, maybe the opening scene, I guess. 
but there isn't a signature moment. There's not a line from from this movie that that, that you can drop. There's not a killer punchline or or some piece of dialogue that's snappy. Or, and and I think that that is therefore makes it a little bit harder to 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 maybe keep in the memory. And there's of it because understandably there's not a great deal of warmth in the film either. Again, it's a horror film, but I mean. There's not a tremendous. I mean, it, it, given that it's based on a comic book character, there was probably room for a little bit of warmth in there somewhere. But you know, well, it, it, you know, and that's it's all understandable. It's essentially a film about the apocalypse, isn't it? Mm. Or trying to avert the apocalypse. It's incredibly serious stuff. There's probably not much room for warmth, is there? Well, it's it's very much post nine eleven, uh, a pre nine eleven film. The 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 absolutely devoid of the horror that is to come, and I I I I disagree with you, Terry. This isn't a horror film. There's nothing horror about this at all. Um, it's R rated because it's violent and it's got lots of swearing in it. That's the only reason it's R rated. There's nothing shocking in it. There's there's very little gore in here as well. There's lots of blood, yes, but there's there's nothing really horrific about it. This isn't a Wes Craven film. Uh, I, I think as far as as what Gary said, I mean, is this is this is this worse than the Transporter? I'd say perhaps not. I'd say I'd say it's probably on a par with it, really. As far as that's concerned, and it brings everything that that's a film like like the tra- tra- Transporter brings unapologetically and and carries it forward. The the fact that it it tries other things or or it alludes to other things out there that you can you can either agree, nod along, or completely ignore, and it won't it, it won't affect your uh, your enjoyment of the film. I think is one of its strengths. Um, I I really like this. I don't I don't I wouldn't say this is going to be a- anything more than a than a three or four star film. I'm not going to say this is on my top ten of films of, of all time. But as far as the land feels concerned, I think this is certainly a film that you can reappraise, or you can go back and say, oh yeah, I've I've watched I've watched Blade, and it's 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 better than you think. Or no, it's exactly what what you think it is, <laughs> but. but that's no problem with that because it's all good. And if you like your if you like your action films late nineties, then really Blade is the place to go. It's it's a film that I think you can admire, even if you don't enjoy it as much as as you do. There is a lot that I do admire about the film. I really like what they're. I like a lot about the film. For me, I just kind of it left me. I, I don't know. There was something about it that I just didn't necessarily connect in the way. I, I don't know. I don't, and I think probably, you know, that warmth or the humour is the one thing that maybe it missed a little bit. And it's the one reason, you know, if you talk about, yes, Blue Thunder, Transporter, neither of which are brilliant films. The Transporter has humour in spades. It's a funny film. It's a film where you've got an oiled up Jason Statham fighting in a bus yard. I mean, it's just like you 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 enjoy the humour in it. And then saying Blue Thunder has its moments of, of humour and just the ending of that's impossible. And like it, it, it embraces ridiculousness. And yeah, it, I, I don't think if it did, if Blade went down that route, would it have worked so well? I don't know. Probably not. Gary, so Gary he gets chopped in. He gets chopped in half and then sits back together again. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was amazingly brilliant, but at the same time, incredibly bad. 
<laughs> but again, you got to admire the imagination behind it. So yeah, we can do this. So let's do it. Yeah, you have to. I'm, the, the, and the fact that it's so gifable as well, like with Wesley looking over his shoulder saying, "What the fuck?" It's like, <laughs> I mean, he he was there. He was there, knowing what memes would be like years before <laughs> memes came out. Way before memes, it's it's definitely not landfill. I will give it that. It, it, it is not landfill. Um, but I think it's it's one of those films that I, I think we're probably a perfect encapsulation. You will either really, really, you know, you'll really enjoy it and be happy to rewatch it again, or you go, yeah, that that was, you know, that was a good couple of hours. But you know, it's it's you you've kind of you check out a little bit um, on that side of things after after you've gone, and you don't necessarily need to think about it too much more afterwards. Whereas you know, and and again, there's like when I think about the. The scenes that keep coming back to mind, yeah, you the chopping half stuff. I don't, I don't know. I don't think I'll think about it too much once we finish doing this podcast. Well, listeners, you don't have to think about it too much. You can just watch it, and uh, I would suggest, I would suggest watch it if it's for free on your on whatever uh, subscription packages you have or streaming services you have. When you see it there, you think. I know what I'll give it a go because I think it's worth watching uh, as as a period piece, um, and uh, it definitely might be worth reappraising if they do come up with a new uh, Blade film as well. Uh, but Terry, I mean, obviously uh, Gary was left a little nonplussed about that. What do you what are you going to fish out of the of the landfill for us to talk about next time we come together? Well, yeah, I'm st- we're sticking in the same era. Uh, just a one year before. Okay. Uh, this isn't necessarily. Uh, 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 it, this isn't a '90s film in the way that Blade is a '90s film. Okay. Uh, or a late '90s film, but but it is very much a late '90s film. Uh, this is a film that I think the plan was for it to perhaps develop into a franchise, but I think due to the awesomeness and the hugeness of the cast, and I don't mean in terms of size, I mean in terms of stature that they, they couldn't kind of make it work it's a very great interesting film but i'm not sure how interesting or fun it's going to be it could be pretty bad but i have gone for it's also an action film directed by a woman and i think that that's always worth having a look at um, this is mimi Leder's 1997 i want to say action spy nuclear terrorist flick flick starring nicole kidman and george clooney it's the peacemaker Ooh. I think that that's surface level landfill personally I think that for a lot of people that's not in the landfill but I'm not convinced you know <laughs> I mean, have you found a film that we're going to try to put into the landfill rather we than could, rescue this from this could be a film that I think maybe if it's not already in the landfill then we might be persuading people to put it in there because I don't think it's anything like as well I think it I reckon it's, I mean I, I almost thought about pre-approving this film and watching it beforehand but I thought oh, no, no, no. and that's why before we went on air I was a little bit concerned about whether or not to put this in I but I, 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 I I think that selection. there's a, quite a bit in here to get stuck into. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I don't think I've seen this film, so I'm going to come out oh, well. completely okay. fresh. Um, I, I might start watching. But, oh yes, I have seen this, but I, I, I'm, I, if, yeah. if I have, if I have seen it, it will not have been this century. Uh, Gary, uh, initial reactions on on the Peacemaker. I'm actually, uh, I'm, I'm quite excited because I'm, I'm a bit with you, Graham. I don't think I've, if I have seen it, I don't remember it. I, I remembered watching Blade, but I didn't 
remember much about the film because it was such a long time ago. I can't recall if I have or haven't watched this film. And yeah, I'm going a bit, there's a lot already just from what you've brought into your wonderful uh, introduction of the, the film, Terry, that I'm quite curious to watch now. Um, you know, you got the cast, as you said, female, female led mid nineties. It's a film I, I definitely know of, but I couldn't tell you that much about it. Well, it's so, going to make a great discussion yeah, then, isn't this it? Will be an, it? It's just going to be an interesting one. It's not one that, um, yeah, it, it's unusual. I think when all of us or, or, or two out of three of us are coming into this relatively, uh, unseen. So this is uncharted territory for the podcast. I, I think this is, I think it's an excellent choice, Terry. Oh, thank you. I'm glad. I you know. I'm, I'm glad I selected it now. Yeah. yeah I think. No. It, I think. I think it's going to be an interesting, an interesting film mm-hmm. to revisit. So there you go, listeners. Uh, next time uh, the Ashen Landfill uh, comes around, it will be the Peacemaker. So tune in for that. That is obviously all we have time for this week. So from me, Graham Sibley, from Gary Andrews, and from Terry DeFellon, it's goodbye. <laughs> <laughs>